You're listening to The Real Wealth Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. Today's guest is one of my favorite people in the world, truly a good, good soul. If you are one of those people that think investors are more self-serving than not, this interview might change your mind on that. I'm Kathy Fetke and welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Whitney Sewell became a federal agent after serving in the military at a very young age. But when he got married and he and his wife decided to adopt at-risk children, they realized they needed more time and more money to fulfill their charitable dreams. Whitney had heard that other people could build wealth through real estate, so he thought he could too. He and his wife bought two triplexes, lost a lot of money on those, but learned a lot as well. Today, he personally owns 250 units and his company, LifeBridge Capital has over 100 assets under management. And he's also the host of the Real Estate Syndication Show, and he's here with us on The Real Wealth Show. So Whitney, welcome. It's so glad to have you here. My pleasure, Kathy. You have such a fascinating story. I got to hear you on stage, I think, last year when we were around humans. I think a thousand humans. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. At the best ever conference, yes. Yeah, in Denver, that was the last trip I took and uh, before I locked myself in my house. But you were on the stage and your story was so fascinating. So let's let's kind of go back to, you were originally in the military, is that right? I was, I, I joined, you know, I was, I was 17 then and, and I uh, just thought it was the right thing to do, joined in March uh, of 2001. Of course, that was six months before, you know, our nation was attacked. Oh, wow. Okay, so what were you sent to do? So, you know, I, at that time, obviously, I had no idea we were fixing, you know, the country was fixing to be attacked. But, uh, you know, a few years into that, of, co of course, I was activated. I was in the Guard, but we were activated and spent a year in Iraq. I was an upper, uh, a gunner on an up-armored Humvee uh, and worked at Abu Ghraib Prison uh, in Iraq for, for a year, all of 2005. Oh, my gosh. And you were how old? I would have been 22 or 3 at that time. Oh, so young. I can't imagine. All right. So what did you learn from that experience? <laughs> <laughs> I learned so much, uh, of course. I mean, there, there's so many, so many things that could not have been learned any other way, uh, good or bad. But, uh, you know, it was a, it was a great experience, but I, I'm thankful to have made it home safely. I mean, thank mm -hmm. the Lord. And not everyone in my squad, unfortunately, made it home. Um, but, um, you know, obviously I'm, the Lord just, protected me. And, and I am so grateful to be back. One thing I say the military taught me is to have that never give up mentality. Uh, law enforcement helped with that as well. But, uh, you know, I think the military was really the first hand in that and boot camp and being overseas. And it's not an option to give up, right? I mean, people are depending on you uh, in a big way. And so that, I think that's one big thing that I like to talk about, just, just that the military instilled uh, is just that mindset of saying, no, you know, I can do this. How can we get it done as opposed to thinking you can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. If, uh, if my life depended on it, how could I get this done? Right. Which in, in the military, oftentimes it does. Yeah. Our, uh, our daughter's first boyfriend, uh, they broke up years ago, but we kept, we kept him. We just thought he was adorable. So whether or not they were together, we were like, he's our adopted son. Anyway, he just, uh, shipped out, uh, first time just enlisted on Monday. So I know he's got big changes ahead. Now, you said you went into law enforcement after, is that right? 
I did. So I came home and, and I wasn't raised around entrepreneurs or people, you know, that invested in real estate or even thought that way. And so I was trying to think, you know, okay, what's my job, my career going to be? And law enforcement was an easy transition. You know, something I thought about a long time and coming from military, it just made a lot of sense. I love the structure and the discipline, the uniform. And there were, I think, 1,200 applicants for five positions with Kentucky State Police. I was blessed to have one of those. And uh, so I became a, a, you know, a police officer with Kentucky State Police uh, at that time. Loved working the road as a police officer. Uh, however, my wife and I were married within about a year after that and quickly discovered that it is very difficult on a family, right? And, and, you know, do we just pass each other in the hallway the first whole year of marriage? And it was obvious that this, it just wasn't what was best, right? And then, and just the lack of income, you know, pushed me to seek something else. You know, how can I supplement that income? And that's, that was in 2009. And that's when I got into real estate. That was, that was the thing that pushed me. It was like, what can I do? I, I didn't have any calls. And so it's like, what can I do? What else, you know, can I do to supplement my income? We wanted my wife to be able to stay at home. We had children and making 30, 35,000 a year. It was going to be very difficult to, you know, to make that happen. Uh, and so, Kentucky. <laughs> that's right. I think it's a little better than that now, but, uh, but it, you know, it was just obvious that I had to do something else and that's where real estate came into the picture. Well, it's not always that ob- obvious for people. I know many people who never made that transition, from a, a low paying or even a high paying job um, to real estate. So how'd you do it? Yeah, you know, that I'm, I at that time, 2009, I quickly purchased a couple of triplexes, very motivated. So, you know, we can do this. And about two triplexes made tons of mistakes, uh, as most do, or a lot, not all. But I, I, uh, I mean, whether it's just poor due diligence, uh, trusting the seller, seller and the realtor too much and those things. Uh, just a lot of mistakes, self-managed, but learned a lot. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and thankfully, thankfully, didn't stop there. It was our, I call it our own university. And thankfully, we did learn a lot or else it would have been a major loss if we had quit, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it would have been. Uh, but we didn't quit there. Uh, but soon, I became a federal agent. And that moved us to Virginia, where we still live now. I did that for about nine years. Uh, and during that process, or I would say, uh, from the two triplexes, I kept, that's all I could see, right? That's all I had blinders on. That's all I could see was, you know, trying to buy another duplex or another fourplex and things like that. I got up to like a 15 unit and I thought, wow, this is, that's really big, right? I mean, that was just, that's uh, all I could see. And, uh, but finally I learned about the syndication business and, and couldn't believe that I hadn't known about that so many years earlier. Uh, and so dove into that. Mm-hmm. And we're able to buy larger units. That's right. Uh, so I started traveling. I started meeting people who were buy- who had only been in the business a year or two, and they were buying 100 unit complexes. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. You know, mm-hmm. if they can do it, I can do it too. Uh, and so we sold everything else. Uh, and I know on stage you heard me talk about I had a horse training business too. I was a professional horse trainer at that time, and it was, and that was like a passion. And I tell people, it, it, you know, there was, it was a passion of mine to be uh, to be able to train horses professionally. And I was doing that and traveling, doing clinics all over the country, but I had to cut all that off. Um, my wow. wife and I sold, sold all our real estate, sold um, the, the whole horse training business, sold our farm. Uh, we were beginning our third adoption process as well at that time. Wow. And, uh, and I wanted to be able to be completely committed to the syndication business. Uh, and so we sold everything. So I could really just burn that bridge and be completely committed, uh, you know, to the new business. Yeah, when you when you sell the farm, that's a commitment. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yes. All right. Well, one of the things that really stood out for me when you were on stage is is your, um, you know, your personal goals of adopting children, and t- tell us a little bit more about that. 
Yes. You know, when my, my, and I'll, I'll back that up a little bit to say, you know, when I was raised, raised in one stop light town, there was like 65 people in my graduating class. You know, there was like, there's not much happening there, right? You're not exposed to a whole lot. Uh, and so my wife and I were never uh, really around people that were adopted. We didn't know anything about adoption, never even considered it, you know, even up to this point. But we, we heard this guy named David Platt. He's a pastor uh, that does this thing called Secret Church, long story short. But we were listening to him talk about the need for adoption and how he and his family had adopted uh, and how it can cost forty to $60,000 to bring a child home through adoption and, and how there's 150 to 60 million orphans in the world. And so on our way home from that, it was, I mean, we had never thought about this before. We had never talked about adoption before. Maybe we had been married about two years at this point. And yeah, two years. And we, it was as simple as why would we not adopt? Why would we not? Uh, and so within a week, my, my wife had filled out her application to adopt from Ethiopia. And we turned that in two years to the month. Our first son Samuel comes home uh, through adoption uh, within nine to 10 months later, our second son, Elijah, come, comes home through adoption. And then uh, our daughter now is a year and a half old who also came to our family through adoption. And so the Lord has just greatly blessed our family through adoption. Uh, but those first, the first two processes anyway, were very difficult financially. It's, you know, it's very difficult to come up with that money. We talk to families often now who ask us about the process. And that's the big thing for them is when they hear that, it's like, Whitney, that's more than I make in a year. You know, how can I possibly come up with that money, uh, you know, to, to be able to afford to do that? And so that's where we wanted to be able to help those families. And now we have a foundation personally where, uh, you know, it will, it will help families. That's amazing. I didn't realize it was that expensive still. Why would it be so expensive? Yeah, it depends. Yeah, why yeah, would it be so expensive I mean, when there's, there's such of, a need? Tons of, yeah, exactly. And it's very frustrating, but there's tons of legal expenses. And you, gotta, you have to make sure that it's legal, right? Uh, you know, of course. Uh, but, it, and then think about travel. I mean, just for our last adoption, I guess we made four trips to, to Florida and staying for sometimes two weeks at a time for a legal process, things like that. Uh, for, our, uh, for our first son, we had to make two last-minute trips to Ethiopia, which were like 10 grand just for flights uh, oh my alone. Goodness. Uh, wow. And so, but you've been waiting for over a year and a half at that point, And they finally, they called us on Monday and said, your court appointment's on Thursday in Ethiopia. So, you know, you're going to find a way to get there, right? That's incredible. All right. So let's go back to this time when you, you did your first investment. What, what did you do wrong? Or what have you, what did you learn from those first kind of failures? Yeah. The biggest failures were that first deal. And it, and it was, it was, I paid too much for one. Uh, but trusted the seller and, and the realtor too much, uh, you know, and, and, you know, obviously we do, a, we know a lot more about the business now, but at that time that I was crucial. I mean, cause we were, we'd barely break even every month, you know, just barely, you know, and if anything went wrong, you know, it, it was obviously just going to cost us big. Uh, you know, I did, I did hire a guy to come do an inspection, just like they would do a home inspection or whatnot. But I followed this guy in every nook and cranny, flushing every toilet, what, you know, uh, in every crawl space, uh, all those things. And he gives me this nice booklet. I'll never forget all the pictures and all these things. It looks so nice. You think you've done this great job of due diligence, right? Yeah. And, but, you know, it, it didn't do anything to help me. Think, and it's my fault. But it didn't help me to think through, well, how long are these AC units going to last? How long is this roof really going to last? You know, what, what is the, I mean, just getting some better market statistics too and, and rent in the area, things like that, uh, that I, I wish I had done. So if you were to do that again or tell, talk to your younger self or to your children who will probably want to be investing and following your footsteps, 
you know, how would you look at an inspection report today? I think I think you just said it. You know, really calculating the life of of the existing you know infrastructure of the of the property. But how would you underwrite it now? I mean, now, as far as, I mean, due diligence is done so differently now for us. Uh, you know, we have an expert for each of those things, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we have professional roofers that are, I mean, if we're buying a property with 30 buildings, you know, there's, there's professionals getting on every building to look at those roofs. You know, they're looking at the AC units. They're helping us think through each of those things so we can plan, uh, I mean, very precisely, you know, how many units should we have to expect to replace this year and the year after, or within, say, the next five years, uh, you know, are we prepared for that? Uh, you know, how many units total need to be remodeled or, or whatever? I mean, whether it's appliances, whether it's the sink or whether, I mean, all these things, the flooring, you know, all that stuff is checked. We go into every unit and have a massive checklist and say, okay, th- you know, these things are good or these things are not so good. Uh, and then it's compiled. So, you know, when we're still going through that, through that negotiation process or, or through new, due diligence, we know about those things before we close on the property. Okay. What else did people know uh, about transitioning from owning property or self-managing? I mean, I know we, we made huge mistakes when self-managing. What did you learn from that process? You can't lead a business with your heart. It's probably the biggest thing. Yeah, you know, <laughs> me I, too. I, I remember... I mean, I remember, you know, one tenant specifically, and I tell this story often, but it's like every month she was late every yeah. month, but she would always pay a late fee. I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> I couldn't, you know, she would always pay a late fee. So eventually it's like, well, this isn't too bad if she's always paying, right? Even if it's a week late, she's always paying the late fee. However, I mean, I even sat down with her. Uh, I mean, I, her, her father came, he signed and, you know, with her and all these things, they seem so reputable and, and, uh, but I, I even sat down with her a few months in you know, and tried to build a budget with her, try to talk through what this should look like and planned it out. I remember saying, okay, you know, with this budget, even giving her some spending money, you got like two months that you're still going to be late, but then you can be on track, you know, and then you can be saving and you can be, do- never happen, you know, eventually moves out. You know, it's just, uh, you, it's so hard, right? And that's why too, I'm thankful for the syndication business. I love the, uh, being able to have a professional brand, work with professionals like pro- professional property management who are doing the, you know, they're professionals doing the day-to-day things like that. Uh, while, you know, I'm working with investors and working professionals on this end uh, as well, uh, as opposed to looking for more tenants and toilets, uh, you know, with, with that kind of business. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, so with syndicating, I mean, one thing you said earlier, and for those not familiar with the term, syndication means a group project where a, a bunch of investors come together, pool their money, and somebody manages that investment. So you get something much bigger than you would on your own. Um, you, you mentioned that you met some people who were syndicating you know, with only two years experience, how, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, how do you protect, you don't, you don't want to be the guinea pig of somebody's learning curve, right? You, you, you don't want to be that. So how, how do you avoid, uh, you know, kind of working with someone who's just learning on the job? <laughs> That's a, that is a great point. And, and I mean, everybody had to get started somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and unfortunately, there are people that do take, they took a risk on me, right? You know, on the mm-hmm. first deal, because uh, it's difficult, no doubt, the first deal is so hard. Uh, but, uh, you know, as a passive investor, you have to ask, you know, and I would encourage anyone that's investing passively in syndication, ask, are you the operator? You know, are you the one, you know, operating this property? Are you the one in charge of these things? Because oftentimes people are getting started and partnering with other people. And not that that's a bad thing, but you want to know, 
You want to know that, right? And it could even be a good thing as far as they're partnering with an operator that may have 10 years experience, you know, or done this many, many times. Uh, but you want to know, obviously, a track record. You at least that you're upfront with it. Maybe you know this person personally, uh, you know, and you're very comfortable with their with their uh, lack of experience. But you you need to know that so you can assess that yourself, uh, right? And, but as far as the person getting started partner with people, you know, add value to another group that's already established, right? So you can, you can gain that experience, you know, under somebody's tutelage, really, uh, that that's been there and done that. Yeah, the, the operations people need to have done it before successfully, right. many times. Uh, yes. There's, you know, marketing, there's marketing geniuses out there, you're surrounded by them, you're one of them. There's uh, people who, you know, again, are very good at the marketing piece. Uh, what they may not have or they may be lacking is the experience in managing an asset, especially mm -hmm. a large one. So I, I couldn't agree more, you know, just make sure that the person operating, not necessarily selling this deal to you, but operating it has tremendous experience. So where do you see the opportunity in 2021 and beyond? Great question. I ask it on every show as well. <laughs> um, you know, I, <laughs> I think it's it's interesting how things are changing very quickly right now. And and I think you know we always talk about obviously what markets you're in and what's important and and uh, you know and we've all, you know you're anybody investing in real estate you learn okay learn about the market right. Uh, but I think there's some different details about markets right now you need to know about. We've always known you should know about like the local government and things like that. But I feel like some of that is is even more important now than ever. Uh, uh, you know, as we see some states that are really changing the, I mean, changing the tune for real estate investors, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so it's some stuff you have to know up front, right? Uh, and or, or I hope you know, right? Or at least that you've done some investigation about the, the local market, local authorities, things like that. You know, if you can't evict people for two years, that's a problem, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, it was in New York that, that I mean, there's actually uh, local authorities that are going around and telling tenants this, you know, things like that. So, yeah. You know, you know, do you know those things, you know, and you can't always know that, you know, maybe you've owned a property there for 20 years, and it's done amazing. Um, but, you know, th those are things I think that we're gonna have to watch, you know, over the next little bit to see what happens, right. And, you know, if that takes hold in other, other states or other markets that that you're active in. Mm -hmm. Great advice. So would you say you'll be a net buyer or a net seller in the coming years? I would say both. You know, I, I would say that uh, yeah. uh, we we are buyers. You know, we um, we are we're buyers. You know, we purchased four large deals last year, and I don't see that. You know, hopefully not slowing down uh, this year, but we'll see. You know, I mean, two of those deals we got ten percent discounts on because we walked away. Uh, you know, first, and so we want to be patient. We don't have to do the deals. You know, um, mm -hmm. and so we want to be very patient. And if they only obviously if they make sense. Yeah, we've been turning away more deals than we've been accepting uh, because, you know, th there is a lot of money chasing multifamily uh, driving. Actually, you know, cap rates have not improved. They, they keep going down, which means the property is getting more expensive, which is good if you own it, not as good if you're trying to buy it. Right. If you're right. trying to sell it, right. you could you could do really well. So if you're trying to acquire, it's just a, it's just more important than ever to know your to be very good at your due diligence or know how you can increase income somehow on that property, something that maybe the former owner just couldn't see. So right. yeah, wonderful. Well, you know, your story is fascinating, your commitment to doing good in this world. I, I, I wanted to have you on the show because there has been a lot of pushback on landlords, you know, that right? We're oftentimes seen, investors are oftentimes seen as the bad guy. And I just wanted the world to see what you're doing to make a difference. 
Thank you. No, I, and I think it's on the property level too, you know, as far as how you care for tenants and even on our personal side, you know, trying to do something like a foundation. I, I think it's, uh, um, I, I wish we could all just, I don't know, care obviously as much about the tenants too, you know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, they're, um, it just makes a difference. I think when you're working with somebody that, um, that it's not only about increasing their size of their wallet, you know. Mm-hmm. Do you have a foundation? We do. We do. Mm-hmm. It's called the Lackbridge Foundation. Yes. Oh, that's right. So yeah. That, tell me about that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's its its sole purpose. My wife and I have committed half of our personal profits to that so we can help families. And then, uh, uh, but it will be, fam- there's another organization I'll put out called the bothhands.org. And ultimately they, they help families raise money uh, and you find a widow that needs help on her home and can't afford it. And so both hands helps you to organize free construction for this widow's home. And then mm-hmm. the people that are working on it get sponsored. And, but then all the donations go towards the adoption. So you're helping an orphan and a widow. Uh, it's a really cool thing. But so, but our foundation is going to start providing matching grants for those families, uh, you know, that are, that are going to do a project like that for their adoption. You've committed half of your profit to this foundation. That's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, I've heard I've heard other investors doing that. Uh, I usually say 10% half is better. (laughs) 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 Yeah, you're doing great. Great work. Well, thank you so much for inspiring our our audience and helping people see kind of the bigger why. Um, You know, you're just a really good soul and I, I truly wish you the best. Thank you, Kathy. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. I hope you're inspired to create both more time and money to live life the way you want to. You can find out more about how to do that at realwealthshow.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to realwealthshow.com.